Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan and from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What up, brother? What's going on, my man? How are you? Doing very well on a lovely Tuesday evening here in New York City. I'm in Caught Offside Towers, JJ. It's not quite the same when you're not here, but it is still a beautiful, gorgeous studio. Nice windows looking down on the street below. Um, I really enjoy it in here. I, I really do. You love you love it in your ivory castle, don't you? Looking I, down on the small folk. I do. I feel some level of prestige in here. If I feel important. This fancy microphone and all kinds of contraptions around me. It's It's really something. Yeah, I, I do feel quite amateur in this little room in the apartment, but I will make the most of it, Andrew. I will not dwell upon it because we've got a great podcast. Great podcast coming up for you. Um, lots to talk about. We're going to do, we've got a new segment that we're going to try out tonight. We'll see how it goes. We'll try it in a few minutes, get into some uh, EPL things, and things all over Europe, really. Uh, so we got that coming up. Uh, we got a nice mailbag. I was looking through it, JJ. A lot of people, a lot of people are very curious how your feeling they want to gauge the temperature right now for you and lasso in the wake of ted lasso's unbelievable triumph it's like it's like the new Shit's creek where they just like yeah lasso wins again like it's like it's become that show now and it's it's an unbelievable story of triumph and uh people are, are curious how you're feeling about see, it how you were feeling see, as the emmys were happening so yeah, i'm curious too i mean i know how you're feeling you were probably you probably shut off your tv you probably weren't even watching in the first place once you saw that they were nominated yeah, and, or or the fact there was a brilliant NFL game on Sunday night uh, yeah. that was that was worth watching. I know um, I, I was actually locked into Mets Phillies, <laughs> so that's what that's where so I was. So don't you even start with me. Don't even try and uh, and poke the bear. So uh, um, no, I, I won't. The, our listeners are poking the bear. I don't have to. They're they're doing it for me. But, I've got things to say. You're gonna have to wait for the mailbag, though. You won't you won't goad me into ruining the podcast by uh, how shall I put it, um, firing shots too early. Okay, fair enough. I, I'm, I, I had another. There was another metaphor in mind, but you know, I, I couldn't say it. No, I'm glad you uh, bit your tongue, uh, JJ. Quickly before we get into this new uh, new segment on the show, ripped from the headlines is what it's called. Um, I, I wanted to tell you, I, I had a funny thing happen. I was at a uh, a wedding over the weekend. Congrats to Dan and Steph. Dan Berenson, one of our longtime friends and listeners, he just got married. How about that? It was awesome. Go for it was, good for Dan. It was super fun. But so while I was there. I, I met a person, I won't name names or anything, I met someone of some prestige at this wedding, like an important guy at this wedding. Um, and so he asked what I do. We were talking for a little bit. I think he was very intrigued by my jobs at ESPN. And he, he was a big sports fan. And so I, you know, I told him that one of the things I do is I host a soccer podcast. Now, this was a, an older gentleman, uh, in no way seemed to be familiar really with soccer. Like normally when I tell people I host a soccer podcast, if they have even an ounce of interest in soccer, then all of a sudden we're off on a tangent talking about Bearhalter or Manchester United or something. He doesn't say a word about soccer. So he's not like in the soccer world. Oh, uh, this conversation is about to hit a wall, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> so then he says, uh, he asked me, okay, tell me, what, what's your podcast? I said, it's myself, and I have a co-host, and, you know, about once a week, sometimes more, we'll, we just talk everything going on in Europe, America, whatever, anything soccer-related. It's fun. I love it. He said, who's your co-host? I said, uh, J.J. Devaney. He said, yeah, yeah, I've heard of him. 
He said, I haven't heard of you, but I've heard of him. And I was like, I didn't say this Liar. out loud, but I was like, no, you haven't. All right? No, you haven't. And I was wondering, am I a bad guy for instinctively thinking that there's just no way that he could have heard of you? Like, how could somebody, why would he have heard of you, but had no idea who I was? That, it, I know this sounds not- like this is egomaniacal. I hear it coming out of my mouth, and I, I feel like such a tool. But I was thinking in my head the whole time, you don't. Why are you saying this? You don't know who he is. But you know, oh, come here. That is just classic behavior of trying to find common ground or or keep a conversation going yeah, or, what, or uh, pretend like you're interested. It's it's it, it's just classic. He hasn't heard of me. <laughs> of course he hasn't heard of me. And if he has heard of me, it's because back in the day, a few years ago, he used to watch on a Wednesday the live stream of Copa 90. If yeah. he didn't know our podcast, that's the only other place he could possibly know no, me that, from. That's or, probably it. <laughs> or he used to pick up the Sligo Weekender, yeah. and he used to read my column on Sligo Rovers every week. Could be that. Which he did. So, so don't lie. I, you know, that, that, that annoys me. That really does annoy me. Just All right, good. I, I'm glad we're on the same page. To me, it was such a weird thing to lie about. Yeah, yeah, but he's got the thing wrong. He's done it the wrong way. Well, like you, you can't say, "Oh, well, I, I don't know what you do, but I know what your who your co-host is." Like we're like, not a, we're not famous, and b, if you do happen to know who we are, you you would only know that because of this. Like, but he doesn't listen. He doesn't know soccer, but he knows who you are. Doesn't know who I am. None of it added up, and I'm glad that we're on the same page. Andrew, I what was it? Uh, Twice during the summer in about a month, random people on the street came up to me and told me they liked the podcast. And they knew and they never mentioned the podcast without mentioning you or something specific about the podcast. Right. Like, we're, we're, like, got... we're like Laurel and Hardy. How, yeah, do you, how have you... you heard of Stan Laurel but not Hardy? I want to be the thin one. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Very interesting. I was so yeah. Don't do I, that. People do that all the time. Just you know what? I, I I'll admit it. I've done that in the past too. You know, when you're having a conversation with someone and 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 they're into something and you just want to stay on the same page. I think I even lied once about like the films of Clint Eastwood. Hmm. Like this person I was talking to, which was, I, do you like Clint Eastwood? Oh yeah, yeah. I've literally only seen Clint Eastwood films from the last decade, like and two of them, right. Mule. Mule and Gran Torino. I've never seen like any of the classic westerns, or I, I haven't even seen Dirty Harry. I haven't seen any of them. But because I, I'm a nice person, and I just want to seem like I know something about anything. I will lie occasionally. And by the but way, given... that that's okay. I ah. just thought that this was an odd way of doing that. That's all. Hey, listen, he really liked you. He wanted to keep the conversation going. You said he was a gentleman of a certain age. There probably wasn't anybody else to talk to. Might as well lie about this random guy from Sligo, Ireland. <laughs> Just such a weird thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, J.J. Devaney. I've heard of him. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> At any rate. Um, but a great wedding. It was super fun, and uh, congratulations to them. Uh, all right, here we go, J.J. So I, I have this here. It's called Rip from the Headlines. I have a beautiful open. Would you like to hear it, and then we'll explain what we're going to do? Oh, God, I, I, you know how excited I am from, for, for your musical ensemble. All right, here we go. It's the debut of Rip from the Headlines. Basketball, what do you say? What's the dealio? What are you hearing, fella? Give me a little bit of a tip for you. Extra, extra, read all about it. 
It's ripped from the headlines on Caught Offside. I don't know anything about that guy except that I just want to punch him in the face. Doesn't that Jesus guy, Christ. Doesn't that person have a voice that you kind of just want to punch him? Oh, my God. He's, 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 he's like he's from a 40s movie. Yeah. I, I expected right at the end that some, some movie producer with a New York accent chewing on a cigar with, with, with cartoonish glasses went, ah, I'm going to make this podcast a great podcast. See? Ah, extra, extra. So what this is, JJ, I have combed the web and found various headlines pertaining to various stories of, of some level of import. And I've taken the headline. Some of them I had to modify slightly because I didn't want to give them away. So I'm going to read the headline, and then you need to guess what it's referring to, and then we're going to talk about that thing. Love it. All right. Here's the first one, my friend. This is, uh, this is from ESPN FC. Uh, the headline was, Easing Through Without Hitting Top Gear. Well, I think that's, that's going to ring true for anybody mm, yeah, who's listening to this podcast now. They're going to be screaming at Chelsea comfortably dispatching Tottenham in the second half on Sunday. You are right, actually. That was actually very impressive that you got that on the first chance. I felt like that could have applied to a lot of things. Yeah, it's about Chelsea. No, it couldn't. Sorry, uh, I'm not piling on on you, but Chelsea will have... I mean, they played... They played fine, but they didn't even have to get out of third gear. Yeah, I thought the same thing. Was, I, I should plug who these headlines are, are for. That was uh, from Gab Marcotti's column on Chelsea, like you said, coasting to a 3-0 win at Spurs. And now they sit atop the table alongside Liverpool. Um, you know, it's one of those things with Chelsea. We've talked about their depth many times on this podcast over the last year or so, certainly this season with some of the moves they've made. But, like, as a Tottenham fan watching this, you know, Tottenham are like – they're playing well, fairly well in the first half. There were definitely patches of that first half where they were on top. They couldn't find a goal. Chelsea managed to get to the half, nil-nil. And then what happens? You know, Tuchel can go in the locker room. He, he can look around and say, okay, well, Tottenham are winning a lot of these balls in midfield. They're getting to a lot of the 50-50 balls. Oh, that's right. I have N'Golo Conte sitting on my bench. Okay, you're in N'Golo. And, like, that's what he does. You know, 50-50 balls, winning possession back in midfield, springing play back the other way in attack. Like He does everything, basically, in in a game. But, like, the exact things that Tottenham were thriving in, Conte can come in, blow it all up. He completely turns the game around, and he even scores a goal, which is, like, not a thing that he does. It was a weird goal and a huge deflection, but nevertheless. So it's just, it's not fair. They're just loaded beyond loaded. Not fair. Uh I mean, he looks around the locker room at halftime, as you said, and he's like, God, wouldn't it be great if I had a potential Ballon d'Or winner from this season, from this year, available to me? Mm. Ballon d'Or winner, Ballon d'Or, or potential Ballon d'Or winner, rather, or nominee. And there he is. He's had the, he had the most unbelievable finish to, uh, to last season, and you can just bring him in. But, Andrew, uh, Spurs really... They just kind of collapsed. And the goals were unlucky. One one after half time, one just before the hour mark. You know, it kind of deflated Spurs. I actually don't want to talk too much about this one because there's a there's an elephant in the room. A a lithe 28-year-old elephant in the room um, that we'll probably talk about later. Well, I'm sure. I had a couple more things on Chelsea. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not finished. I I need to talk about them. Is that okay with you? You seem, uh, I, you seem no, bothered. absolutely. Give 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 Chelsea their due because you know what happens with Chelsea fans if if they haven't been sufficiently praised for for seven days, 
uh, things can get bad. Well, I think the whole idea of what this headline was, uh, you know, the, the the portion of it about them not even hitting top gear. Like I, I do yeah. think I do think that that rings true. Like we said in the first half, they probably weren't the better team, um, and yet like this ends with a three nil road victory against a rival. You know, like Timo Werner, for example. Like a year ago, JJ, he was if not the biggest, most marquee signing in the Premier League. He was probably one of them. Like, look, he's he's just a luxury signing now. He's just like another guy that they can throw in there if they want to try to generate offense late in the game. It's just like the weapons that they have, and people can make their jokes about Werner's finishing ability, but find me a team that wouldn't want to have that guy be able to come off the bench in the 65th minute of a game. Like, that's a great luxury player to have in attack. Um, Now, here's what I want to throw out there, though, and I I actually want to bring Liverpool into the conversation a little bit. Right now, it's the two of them that are sitting atop the table. Now, for for however good I think Chelsea are, I've said that I think Chelsea are the best team in the league. Um, we both, we said, both said that. We both said that on our Jump to Conclusions podcast. That was a conclusion that we jumped to. Having said that, I actually don't believe that they have played like the best team in the league up to this point. I think that that's Liverpool so far. I, I think that's, that's fair to say that, Andrew, but it's how do you get through Chelsea is the question. So Aston Villa probably played one of their, one of their better performances um, against uh, against Chelsea, Thomas Tuchel spoke about how you know that wasn't an easy game despite the scoreline. Chelsea still ran out comfortable winners. Uh, ditto against Tottenham. I thought Tottenham had a good first half. Maybe if Son scores that opportunity he has, goes in one nil at half time, maybe things are different. But but Chelsea make it so difficult to play against them. They close off space. It's they're very compact. It's hard to get through them. Tuchel has this this system. He's whipped them into defensive shape. So so quickly. Um, at the moment, they haven't hit stride yet. Yeah. What like, happens when they do? I don't. You're right. Um, but I also. I don't know. I still am I wrong for sometimes still wondering. Like if I'm, let's look at Liverpool and Chelsea. We'll put them next to each other. In the end, I believe it's going to be a, a legitimate four horse race for this title. But these teams are tied atop right now. So I, I was doing kind of a mini comparison of the two. Liverpool's XG is nearly double that of Chelsea so far this season. Liverpool have 38 right. shots on target this season. Chelsea just have 26. Um, and if you look at all the defensive metrics, Chelsea have been the more sound team so far this season, undeniably. But is anybody looking at Liverpool's defense and saying it's a liability? Like, there's still this weird part of me that looks at Liverpool with, you know, a back four of, of Alexander-Arnold, Van Dijk, uh, Matip, and Robertson, and you can even like talk about Fabinho as a shield in front of them. I look at that, and I I think I still take those that back four over you know Chelsea. I just can't get past this idea that Thiago Silva and Antonio Rudiger is not not as imposing to me at center back as what I think Liverpool has that, with with a, health, with a healthy Van Dyke. That's fine, uh, but I I think you have to look at it in the, in the totality of things. If you're saying I don't know what the figures are. I'd have to check them. But like the, the amount of goals that Chelsea scored under Tuchel is less than it was, I think, under Lampard. But they're much better defensively. So that can be a formula for winning a league too. But we've also seen Liverpool play open, expansive football. They can be, you know, as we saw last season and 
it only takes a couple of injuries to key players. Like, for example, if Alisson or Van Dijk were to get injured now, that, that completely flips the other way, and Chelsea are overwhelming favourites if, if we're just putting these two against each other. You're right. Chelsea, just... Chelsea have the depth edge, certainly. Yeah, of course. It's just so early for this, um, and, and we have to let it play out. But, like, you can't tell me Chelsea don't have a formula to win the league either. No, no, I, I'm not saying that. I'm only comparing how these two have looked so far this season. Yeah. Yeah, I think Liverpool. I think I think you're right. What you're saying about Liverpool, I think Liverpool are legitimate title contenders. But the pitfalls that they can absorb injury-wise are much much less than what Chelsea can absorb, and and that could be the difference. Agreed. I would agree on that. Uh, but yeah, the, the basic point of this is that Chelsea are certainly imposing, um, and and your point is also correct that the fact that they're doing this without without playing what we believe is their best football is 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 somewhat scary to be honest and uh, i'm sure the rest of the league is is taking notice all right ready for the next headline absolutely sir this came from the bbc the headline is the pressure builds uh i must admit i've seen a number of articles relating to this this scenario or this this team it's Barcelona and Ronald Koeman, mm-hmm. and pressure has been used in <laughs> quite widely, actually. Yeah, this is, like I said, from the BBC, and you are correct. Again, this is about Ronald Koeman's job security with Barcelona. Um, boy, there's a lot going on with this club right now. They are coming off of a, a brutal week in terms of morale from kind of like the realization in that loss to Bayern that they're no longer really one of – Europe's elite. They are in terms of like club stature, I guess, but not in terms of what they actually have to offer on the field right now. They're just not. And then they follow that up with a 1-1 that they were really fortunate to come away with against Granada, who's what, 17th in La Liga? I mean, it's it was a bad week for Barcelona. Now, before we say anything else about this current situation, I would implore people to go and listen to our interview from a month ago or so six weeks ago with Simon Cooper, who's wrote his new book about Barcelona, uh, the Barcelona complex, Messi, and the the building and unbuilding of the greatest club in soccer. Um, that really gives the full insight into what we're seeing here. And his, his predictions to us about the way this could go appears to be right now, although it's very early, appears to be bearing fruit. He talked about a fall... Um, he said best case scenario would be a fall like United had, Manchester United had after Sir Alex Ferguson left. left. Worst case scenario, it's a fall like Leeds United. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we're seeing Leeds United right now, but uh, just, just listen to this paragraph from Graham Hunter on ESPN FC. Ask the 28,000 hardy souls who watched a dismal 1-1 draw at home to previously limp, easily beatable Granada, and they'll say... Monday night's game hit crisis level. Ronald Koeman's team, with a couple of exceptions, showed remarkable variation between being witless, embarrassing, devoid of confidence and bankrupt of ideas. It was 90 minutes of some of the worst football at Camp Nou in living memory. So poor that Koeman could be looking for his next job soon. Has Graham Hunter ever written that paragraph about Barcelona I know he's in Spain a long time, but since the beginning of the Guardiola era. No, certainly he's not. He's never written anything like that. Absolutely not. Now, 
he goes on in the article, which people should read, to not just outline a tale of woe, but to outline a tale of a team, the very fabric of which is being just destroyed. In fact, I go as far as to say it is destroyed. They do not they do not play like Barcelona anymore because they can't. So this system, this possession-based football that started first with Cruyff and then came to its its zenith under Guardiola is now gone, Andrew. Yeah. So it, it's over. Like, Finished. Like you just said, th- this Graham Hunter feature up on ESPN FC, it's it's a must read as I find myself usually saying when Graham Hunter puts something up on ESPN FC. He's excellent on all matters pertaining to La Liga. This is no exception. So he goes through basically all of the the different crises <laughs> that are converging on Barcelona seemingly all at once. And for me now, there's a couple that stand out. Because, like, sure, you can say there's a crisis at manager. You can say that they have a crisis in talent. Uh, you can say there's a crisis in how to play in a, a post-messy universe, I guess. Those are those are all fair game. But for me, there's two crises that stand out above the rest. The first, I think, may be the most important one. Well, you know, I'll table that. The first is, is their financial crisis. Because ultimately with Barcelona, JJ, they're not – like they're not the first team to try and cope with life after a superstar leaves. Every single one of those teams that goes through that, they all take a step back. Like it's not a crisis for that to happen. Like think of the Patriots after Brady, the Bulls after Jordan. Like that's just when you lose a guy that means that much to your team, it's natural to have this kind of transition phase where you're trying to figure out life after him. The problem with Barcelona when it, when it comes to this is that under normal circumstances if their finances were in order, then they can make decisions to kind of expedite the process of getting back on track. Like, they're one of the three most prestigious clubs on earth. Marquee players are always going to want to go play there. The great managers are always going to want to go manage there. But if Barcelona don't have the funds to accommodate those types of decisions, then it's going to slow the process of moving forward for them. And now you're going to have to rely on your academy. You're going to have to rely on low-budget or free transfers, both of which offer no guarantees in terms of a pathway to any kind of success, certainly not the kind of success that they're accustomed to. I mean, we talked about their academy with Simon Cooper, how it's just not— it's just not churning out the type of talent that it did, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Now, that can change. I'm not saying that that's a permanent change, but like if that's what they're relying on now until they get their finances in order, then it's it's going to be trouble for them. And then the other crisis, and this is the one that Graham identifies as being their biggest crisis, is what he calls a loss of their modern football identity. Yeah, uh, he, that's what I talked about there. Yeah, he writes Messi, Xavi, Andres Iniesta, Ronaldinho, Danny Alves, Sergio Busquets, Samuel Eto'o, Luis Suarez, Gerard Piquet, and Carlos Puyol were exceptional individuals, but what elevated their teams above the sum of the parts was the entire concept of how to play. The Johan Cruyff, Pep Guardiola concept of possessional and positional football has been consistently eroded over a number of years and recently abandoned altogether. They're lost. Like, that's what he's saying, is this is a team that has lost its way, their identity is gone, their finances are gone, and so where does that leave them as a club? They're just kind of in this weird nether zone that we don't ever see this club in. So I don't think, like, I've said the past couple weeks that I I don't necessarily believe that Barcelona are going to be bad this year. I think they could still be a decent team. I I still think it's possible that they challenge um, atop the table. But, like, where where this is all headed is frightening. This is a downward trajectory, and I don't know that there's a quick fix here. Well, there might not be, but there might be a reset. 
and you're right about getting talent in, but you're also right about the DNA and, and the identity of the team being taken away. And I'm not saying Graham says it should be done, but he does suggest that Xavi shouldn't be managing. He um, he bluntly that. says that they should get him now, doesn't yes. he? I mean, he, he makes well, it pretty clear that should be their manager. I'm trying to remember exactly how he phrased it, but yeah, he kind of says he shouldn't be in Al Saad uh, or managing outside in, in Qatar that he should be he might be the only one who still holds that flame for that kind of football and right. that he might be the reset because and I wonder if you if you were if you were Juan Laporta reading Graham Hunter's article that is the you're picking up the phone and you're saying how quickly can you be here because another wrinkle to this this farce this disaster is that Kuman and Laporta are now sniping at each other in public, mm-hmm. and that relationship seems to be in the toilet. So why not go and get Xavi now? Can't be any worse. Well, but here's why. Again, Barcelona's financial situation is like: can they be? Can they afford to be paying two managers at once? You're gonna if you fire Kuman, you got to pay him out, and then you get you're not getting any. Uh, you're not getting Xavi for free. He's going to cost Andrew, a lot. Technically. Technically, they can't really afford to be paying anyone, you know? <laughs> but I'm saying adding, like, you're just looking at their books, it's like, okay, so we're in we're in complete and utter financial ruin. Oh, and now you want to pay two managers. Like, we're going the wrong way here, fellas. Like, So they might just have to kind of grin and bear it with Kuman. Well, uh, they're going to be using the, the – it seems they'll be using – if they do go to get Javi, they'll be using the last of the Rakuten money to pay for – to pay Kuman off to get oh. him out of the club because that is coming to an end, according to the article too. So a shirt sponsor is another problem. And um, you know, I've been reading a little bit about AC Milan in the last twenty four hours, and and they may have to to do what uh, Gazidis did at AC Milan, which is try and find new and inventive revenue streams to help them out. What a mess, man! It does. It just, I don't know. But look how quickly it. Look how quickly it's it's gone this way now. They were being eroded over a few seasons, but they always had Messi, Andrew. They always had that link to that early period of greatness. And um, and now it's gone. And and with him is gone any vestige of Guardiola's amazing cathedral that he built in, in Barcelona. It's all gone now. Yep. All right. Next one. You ready? Yes, sir. Uh, this is from Sky Sports. Uh, they said, alarm bells for blank. I don't want to say the name because that will give it away. Who are the alarm bells uh, ringing for, JJ? Oh, if 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 this is Sky Sports, if if you've been across uh, the UK Twitter, uh, soccer Twitter, then it, it can only be Harry Kane. Mm-hmm. That's correct. You're killing it. You are very well read. But these are the big stories, Andrew. <laughs> You're right. Extra, They're extra. Kind of layups. Read all about it. Uh, yeah, Harry Kane, he's yet to score a Premier League goal this season. Uh, it's the first time since 2015 that he's failed to find the net in his first four appearances, and it comes after a summer in which he attempted to push through a move to City, of course, uh, which did not happen. Um, so I saw this from Jamie O'Hara, former Tottenham player, on TalkSport, um, and he said this about Kane, and I'm curious what you make of it. He said, when it was Bergwijn, Lucas, and Son up front, we sat in, we were composed, we soaked up the pressure and tried to hit teams on the counterattack. Harry Kane has come back and he's trying to do everything. For some parts of the game, he's playing as a holding midfielder. Uh, O'Hara goes on, JJ, to basically say that they were better off without him. Um, I, better off without him, no. Uh, I don't agree with that. I understand what he's saying. 
uh, about, you know, Kane dropping off. And it was something that we saw develop during the Mourinho period where he, he'd drop into like a deeper position, almost sometimes like a number 10 and would lay the ball off, spray passes and then try and get on the end of it again. Um, just taking the weekend, for example, he appeared to be playing like a slightly wide left. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while still doing that thing where he drops in and tries to link the play. And he had that one cross that he whipped in from that left-hand position that uh, Arita Balaga spilled and then reclaimed. But apart from that, it didn't seem to really, it didn't seem to bear any fruit out there. Uh, I don't agree with Jamie O'Hara. We've seen this a lot with England too. We saw, you know, the goal is against Germany where he's initiating or he's part of the build-up and then he's getting into the box uh, to convert. So I don't agree with that. Better off without him. I'm not so sure. If you look at the way Kane and Son linked together last season, um, maybe for this game, maybe for this game there was there was something in it that they would have been better off doing something different. How about playing him straight down the middle as a centre forward and not have him dropping off into midfield? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But Roy Keane has some ideas, Andrew. He seems to know. Yeah, here he is on Sky Sports. He's your top man. I know the goalkeeper's the guy. He's your top man. He's the guy you're going to hang your hat on, even when you're having an off day. It's great for the strikers when they're lashing the ball in the back. Now, but I still want more from strikers when it's not quite added. So, well, when the ball goes up to him, make it stick, knock what? somebody over, create an argument, get, start shouting at people. I never, ever see him digging anybody What up, are you ever. reading into his body language? What, what's he saying to you? As if there's a bit of a hangover from the summer. That would be my concern. If I was the manager and I'm, you're working with and he's a world-class striker... You've got to be I've a little bit him. frustrated, though, Dave. You know, coming into to this team, they're not creating, Mickey, that, uh, do, I, creating that many forget chances. Forget that for a second. I, 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 I agree with you working more. out, 100%. There's, there's I, more to scoring goals if I, you're going to be a striker. I, when your I team agree. up against it, get hold of it. Yes, I agree with that. So, those comments, Look, those comments are interesting to me from yes. Roy Keane, just because, like, I'm afraid now we're swinging a little too far after two kind of two anonymous performances from Kane. Because, like, Roy Keane is saying, you know, start an argument with somebody, like, dig someone up. But, like, that's never – like, that's just never been who Harry Kane is. It's not like he's no. he's lost that element of his game. Like, he's he's never been a guy to, to play that way. Like, he's gotten off to slow starts before. And kind of speaking a little bit to what you were saying before we played that clip, like, oftentimes over the last year to two years – We've praised Kane because of his versatility to be able to move into the midfield and get guys involved and, like you said, be a number 10. Like, he can kind of swing back and forth between being a 9 yeah. and a 10, and he's been great at both the, things. So I'm just afraid... Cut across yet, but yeah. but isn't, isn't that what Kane means about doing more? You know, that is doing more. Maybe do less. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just focus. Maybe you're saying what? Get him back yeah. into a true goal-scoring position... But, like, the question is, do Tottenham have the players around him or is Nuno the manager who's going to play a certain style that he'll be involved? Like, look what happened against Crystal Palace when he probably was in more of that number nine role. He didn't see the ball once in the right. in the penalty box. It, really, in the attacking third, he was just like a total non-factor. They couldn't get him the ball. So now, in this game, they come out and say, okay, come deeper, come bring yourself into the game because we couldn't get you into the game against Crystal Palace. And this one didn't work either. So at a certain point, you're trying different things with Kane. All right, like I, I guess right now the narrative is kind of anti-Kane because of what happened over the summer, so the gut is to blame him. But at a certain point, 
I don't know if it's guys around him. Like, I'm glad to see Tangy and Dombele back into the side. You know what I think of him. I think that can help. Son got back into the side against Chelsea. But I don't know. I'm just not willing to, like, overcommit on this and say that Kane is is the problem now at Tottenham. I just – I can't go there. He's not, he's not the problem. That's why, you know, I mean, what Jamie O'Hara said is just – it's a bit much. But then again, talk sport is about saying things like occasionally that are, are a bit much. Also, you know, he scored in Europe – all right, not against top-quality opposition. He still scored in Europe. And, you know, strikers have periods of, of, of drought. They have periods of famine. And you have to you have to work through it. And I think he will work through this. Um, unless this is part of a larger, larger decline as he, as he rolls towards 30. I don't think it is. But, but we need more of a sample size. We, we need to see a longer period of sustained non-goal scoring from Kane because since 2015 or, or so when he came into this team, that's not been the case. He's been prolific. Yeah, some of this feels, it just feels a little reactionary to me. Um, it is, but, but you know, we're in the early stages of the season and also soccer these days, Andrew. Everything is just a massive swing from one side to the other. It's, it really is. It's hard to keep up sometimes. Uh, all right, one more for you, JJ. This is from the BBC. Uh, the headline was actually a quote. Sometimes players don't like it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to knock it out of the park here. That can only be one thing from Europe this weekend. That can only be the messy substitution, Andrew. That is correct. Once again, it was Murcio Pochettino on Messi uh, after he was subbed out. Now, this story has actually taken an unexpected turn in the last 24 hours, um, where now PSG are saying that Messi actually suffered an injury. And that played a role in why he came off. Uh, Poch what said, played it, what, what was he so injured that he couldn't shake his manager's hand? Well, so Potts said this. He said he played very well in the first half, and the only uh, the only thing missing was a goal. He played for 76 minutes, and with all the information we had, we decided to take him off. That information being that Messi apparently suffered a knee injury at some point. They were worried about a bone bruise. He uh, he even went an MRI earlier today, which showed signs of bone bruising. Uh, PSG say a follow-up exam will be carried out on Thursday. So the only thing I can think of is that Messi just simply believed, yeah, I got a knock on my knee, but I'm fine. Don't take me off. I'll tell you when I can't continue. I'm Lionel Messi, and I will play as long as I deem it acceptable, and it's still acceptable. Don't. Why are you doing this? Like That's, that's all I can think of is he probably just didn't think he was hurt enough where it warranted him coming out. I think that would be the right way to read it. Uh, Richard Martin did a nice piece in the Mail about the the rarities, the the absolute um, needle in the haystack times in his career. So hard to find them when Messi's been substituted. Mm -hmm. Um, Messi is not used to being substituted, but he has now been taken off by Pochettino as many times as in each of his final three seasons at Barcelona, while he was not taken off in any league games in the 17-18 campaign. Um, Pep Guardiola substituted the Argentine for Pedro in a 4-0 win over Valencia in his first season in charge of the club. A seemingly harmless decision given his side had already scored four goals and there were nine minutes to go. But Messi did not see it this way and declared his intention to miss training the next day, according to Catalan radio station (laughs) RAC1. Barca's players convinced him to finally leave his house after a series of phone calls, but once at the training facility, he refused to get changed into his kit. Um, Richard goes on to say how the, the club subsequently find him and they patch things up, but um, that was when he was a much younger man. 
<laughs> the way to read it is the way you read it. I'll tell you when I'm ready to go off. Not you, Potch. Not anybody else. His face, Andrew. Yeah. The truculence in his face. It was, it was awful. <laughs> I felt so bad for Potch. And Potch, you know, leaving Potch hanging with his hand out as well in front of everyone, you know, on a, on a game that's been viewed around the world because Messi's playing in it. That was just, it was not good. Do you know what else was not good, though? What? Uh, Fil- Philippe Claire tweeted about the game. So I, I didn't see the game. I only saw highlights. Um, PSG wins thanks to Icardi's header in added time. You'll look at the score, 2-1, and you'll think logical, but logical it wasn't. Olympic Lyonnais played most of all the football. PSG were shockingly bad and only got back in the game thanks to the most generous of penalty decisions, which was a penalty decision for Neymar, which was just not a penalty. This isn't working yet. Uh, No, not yet. Now, they did still win. Um, Yeah, yeah, but... But I know, you're Andrew, right. But, but it's Mbappe, Neymar, Messi up front. We can't just say, oh, well, they won. That's not good enough. That's not going to cut it. No, you're right. I mean, look, they're, so so far this season, they're in first in Liga. They're five points up on Marseille. Uh, I would imagine, I still believe fully, like, I don't think this is a hot take. I still, I still believe this is going to work. Uh, oh, yeah, I, you, I, you've bought, you bought in from the minute. You are a disciple of the, if there's enough good players on the field, let them at it, and they're bound to be good. It's hard for me to envision this that front three not scoring a ton of goals. It just is. And, you know, I, like you could say, and I look, and I think highly of Pochettino as a manager. Now, we've talked about whether or not he's the right manager for a, a team with this many egos, but we don't know yet. So we're going to have to find out on the fly here, but I just, I just believe that this will work, that this will click at some point. And in terms of Messi coming off, um, you know, he, I understand his mentality and he is who he is, but this is a different situation than what he's accustomed to. He's playing in a league where he doesn't need to give the full 90. Like they're, they're probably going to win this league and they're probably going to do so handily. Like we said, this hasn't worked yet. And there's still five points up game at hand. I'll, I'll give you that, but there's still five up before this has really been able to get going. Um, so they're going to prob- they're going to win this league and it's not going to be that hard for them to do so. There's not really a Real Madrid or an Atletico Madrid nipping at their heels. This is about way more than that. He's just he's getting older. He's got to be healthy for Champions League games. It's what's plagued PSG for years now. So if they if they see that he suffered a knee injury in a game, you know, I know that it's 1-1 at the at the time and they want to they want to get that winning goal. They've got plenty of guys who can get that winning goal and in fact they did. Acardi scored it. So like I'm fine with him coming off. You know, live to see another day. It's not it's important, but it's not that important. They got to win a Champions League. That's what this is all about. So you keep him healthy as long as you can, especially in a game where he suffered a knee injury. What's the point? I think it's nice also as a, an added bonus if you can come off the field and not embarrass your manager. Of walk, course. Walk off the field without doing that. That would be great. Agreed. Wholeheartedly agreed. It was in boy, these got Ronaldo, Messi. They're they're such brilliant players. But they, someone tweeted they're us. They're tough to manage, man. They they the, the I don't know 
I don't. These guys are just tough to manage. We talked. What was it? The Rio Ferdinand stuff, talking about Ronaldo managing behind Solskjaer last week, and now yeah. this with Messi. It's just like the. It's it's great having these guys, but boy, it's it's also not it's not simple either. No, it's not. Someone someone tweeted us, and this remains to be seen. To your point, but they said, you know, Ronaldo at United, Messi at PSG. Sometimes the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Well, that also remains to be seen. Let's remember that quote in May, and we'll see. That's what, that's what I said. Remains to be seen, and we'll see. Uh, so there you go, JJ. That was ripped from the headlines. Couple of things I, I wanted to talk about. I, by the way, I enjoyed that segment tremendously. Um, I thought the intro was a bit jarring, but maybe it'll grow on me, and That's I hope all right. it will. Uh, <laughs> um, a couple of things we saw a hangover from the summer. I thought we decided in football as a collective that we're not bringing people on just to take penalties. I'm looking <sighs> at you, David Moyes. I mean, I, come on! It's uh, Noble has a brilliant. Mark Noble has a brilliant record of converting penalties, and that one would have made it. 2-2 it would have been a great point for West Ham. United probably deserved to win the game anyway, but West Ham were always in and around. They played decently in this game. But you can't tell me there wasn't someone else on the field that could have taken that without heaping this pressure onto your veteran midfielder. Well, it would have been Declan Rice, right? Well, Rice, yeah, whose record isn't great. He, no. Didn't he hit one off the post uh, the last penalty he took? But not even, even if you didn't want to give it to Declan Rice. Give it to someone else just seemed like a lot of pressure for for noble to to pop up and and uh and and you know david de Gea finally saves a penalty yeah and look it wasn't the worst penalty i've ever seen it's a sh- it was shocking but it, it, was, but it was it was crap it, it was crap. it was too close to the it was center, a perfect height obviously. perfect height dreadful <laughs> sorry andrew it was a bad penalty totally telegraphed it his body shape everything you would have saved it well, yeah, but what's that saying? I mean, I'm a master. <laughs> they call you the cat. Uh, um, but no, I thought the same thing. As that was happening, I thought, what? No, 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 no. You're getting too cute. Like this is this isn't this isn't right. These things don't go. These things don't end well. Um, now, I will say about that game. Also, it's so funny, JJ. Um, after the Champions League, I talked about how fickle this sport is. Jesse Lingard, a hero a few days earlier, a goat a few days later with the, the lazy back pass for the PFOC winner, and then a few days after that, the sports fickleness again in his favor as he scores the winning goal in the 89th minute on a great and goal. This this sport, is it'll just like humble you and immediately build you back up. It's, it's what you love about it. And it was a wonderful non-celebration celebration from him. Really, really top-class mm-hmm. non-celebration celebration. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to rebel against the club or show his joy against the club that it really catapulted him into the position he is now at, at United, that lone spell at West Ham last season. But no, 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 he did the very bashful, like, I simply cannot celebrate. And in the act of not celebrating, I am kind of celebrating. <laughs> but no, he did it right. I, I thought it was... I thought it was very. It was well tasteful. Handled. It was very, very tasteful. And by the I way, like we it. should we should say. I mean, we're sitting here and we're talking about Messi and Ronaldo and how difficult they can be. And like you're even suggesting that you know that it's not. Would you say the juice isn't worth the squeeze? Someone, but, no, I'm not suggesting it. A, a listener tweeted that at, at us. Okay. Well, I mean, for what it's worth, Ronaldo has been brilliant so far since joining this team. He's scoring goals every time out there. 
Mm. Um, so, so far, so good. I, I can't. It would feel disingenuous to sit here and, and suggest that that it's been a problem so far. It has not been. It has gone very well. Do you know what is a problem, though, Andrew? We have gone this far in the podcast, and you have not made the Carabao Cup noise, which needs to be made on a Carabao Cup week. Well, we haven't talked about it yet, but all right. Allow me to read some of the scores in the style of a BBC football results reader from the mid-90s. This sounds like it has a chance to be excruciatingly boring, but I'll allow it. This is how they read the results on BBC at 6.30 every Saturday when I was growing up. And so you're going to listen to at least a few of the results. Okay. Manchester City, 6. Wickham Wanderers, 1. Watford, 1. Stoke City, 3. Fulham, 0. Leeds United, 0. Leeds United win 6-5 on penalties. Wigan Athletic, 0. Sunderland, 2. Burnley, 4. Rochdale, 1. Norwich City, 0. Liverpool, three. I know you're not going to read all of them. Preston North End, four. Cheltenham, one. QPR, two. Everton, two. QPR win, eight, seven on penalties. Brentford, seven. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> there would just be a show of a guy doing that, just reading scores? <laughs> no, it was it was part of the larger show called the sports show called Grandstand. Well, how long did that, would... that portion of the show last? I mean, there's a, ton, read, it's the, there's a ton of games. Andrew, he used to read the Premier League results, the Division One results, the Division Two results, and the Division Three results. All of them. How did this show rate? Was it a popular very, show? Very, very highly. <laughs> Television was just different then. Like, no, people, people, were, more com- people hear, were comfortable with boring. People want time. to hear plummy-voiced men reading the results. Simple as that. Well, not on this show. It was... It was painful. People probably drifted off, and now we have to win them back. No, they're going to drift off when you start talking about MLS. That's, I, I, that's when that wow. <laughs> and there it is, folks. <laughs> Don't let him lie to you when we do our MLS Minute. Don't let him lie to you and think that he's okay with it. By the way, you didn't know. Did, did I've mention, got some great notes on MLS. Did, I've got some great news and notes coming up. Did you mention you? in your BBC scoreboard that the Lake Monsters went through on penalties? Oh, I didn't, actually. Uh, Hassel Hooten's Lake Monsters get it done. Yeah, nice, nice result for them. Yeah, they beat uh, Southampton, beat Sheffield United, two-two, uh, and then four-two on penalties. So after uh, after upsetting Pep at the weekend with a with a quality vintage Lake Monsters performance. Yeah, really was. Uh, I'll tell you what. Let's go ahead. Let's take a break. All right. Let's collect ourselves, and then uh, when we come back. Uh, we're going to pay a little tribute to Jimmy Greaves. We got an MLS minute. We got a great mailbag. So there's actually uh, there's actually still a lot to do. Don't go anywhere. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, JJ, sad news over the weekend as 81-year-old legend Jimmy Greaves passed away. Um, He had suffered a stroke a number of years ago and um, had not really been the same since. And um, it was uh, only fitting that Chelsea and Tottenham were playing one another, two of his his clubs that he most prominently played for. And uh, Tottenham had a nice tribute to him prior to the game with a lot of their legendary players that came back and and honored him. And, you know, you and I, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that, like, he's kind of a – he's an interesting one like in some ways he's his 
his contributions to this game have kind of been lost to history. I don't know exactly why that is, um, but when we, you know, oftentimes whenever we do our Mount Rushmores or go through our greatest players, his his is just not a name that is generally mentioned. You know, we we obviously now with Messi and Ronaldo, there's that, but you know, Maradona, Pele, Cruyff, um, you know, you even get like your Beckenbauer's, your Platini's, Jimmy Greaves is third all-time in Europe's top five leagues in goal scoring, behind only Ronaldo and Messi. He is an absolute legend of this game. Um, and he, even during his time in the 60s, I mean, he was he was a, a superstar who went off to play at AC Milan. He spent his mm. first few years at Chelsea, scored 124 goals at Chelsea over a four-year stretch. He was basically a child prodigy uh, at Chelsea, so young, went to AC Milan for a short period of time, Still, even there, where, where you know it wasn't considered a huge success, still scored nine goals in 14 games. And then I was reading um, at the BBC, they, they had a whole write-up about uh, Greaves and his time at every club. But they mentioned uh, at AC Milan that Nereo Rocco, who was the manager then, he banned sex and alcohol for the three days leading up to a match. And Jimmy <laughs> Greaves was basically just not about that life. He couldn't wait to get back to London and so Tottenham and Chelsea both put in bids that were both accepted, and then it turned into a bidding war basically between Chelsea and Tottenham. And Tottenham, Bill Nicholson went up to 99,999 pounds, um, and that was the winning bid. He intentionally wanted to stay under 100,000 because he didn't want to put that pressure on Jimmy Greaves of being the first 100,000-pound player. Um, and this is really when Greaves then went on and cemented his legacy, scored 266 goals in 379 games at Spurs, uh, one trophies there, two FA Cups, a Cup Winners Cup, um, and like I said, his 357 goals in the English top flight remains a record today. And I, I was listening to uh, the Guardian's Football Weekly, and I forget which guy brought it up, but they said it's Jimmy Greaves is one of those guys, JJ, who you know we do this thing, we're guilty of it too. This idea of the Premier League kind of being the beginning and end of of the sport in England, and like because of that, Greaves and some players from that era are just boxed out of the conversation and when in fact when we talk about the greatest goal scorers it shouldn't it shouldn't be a list that starts with you know Shearer and Henri you know Jimmy Greaves belongs in this conversation as well an absolute legend an absolute legend I totally agree with you but um, in some respects he'll be remembered for a game that he didn't even play in which was England's 1966 World Cup final win over Germany because think about it this way Imagine Harry Kane, right now, Harry Kane doesn't play in the Quick Tire 2022 final. Mm-hmm. He doesn't play in that World Cup final should England get to it. Like, it's kind of hard to, to fathom that. That's what Jimmy Greaves is not playing in 66 was. Now, he got injured in the final group game against France, but he got hepatitis uh, about a year before, or maybe six, seven months before, the World Cup, and he had to work so hard to get fit again and get into the squad, and he made the squad, uh, and then he got stitches after the French game, which was England's final group game, and so he didn't play in the final. And people always talk, because it was so unfathomable prior to the World Cup that Greaves wouldn't be involved, but now you don't you don't hear Greaves' name mentioned in terms of, of the final. It's Roger Hunt, it's Sir Jeff Hurst, and, and, and Greaves was that man. He was a bona fide starter. It was implausible to think that he wouldn't play in that game, but he never did. Um, for me, 
Um, and for people of my generation and older, we never saw him play, but we remember him as a TV host on ITV football, um, ITV's football uh, league magazine show called Saint and Greavesy, which was a show he did every morning, uh, every Saturday morning with Ian St. John, which was a magazine show which would talk about uh, you know, the, the highlights of the previous weekend and would preview this weekend's games. And it like set the table every Saturday morning for what was to come. And he was a huge TV star. And that show was absolutely massive. And that's where you got all your highlights. And they went up and down the divisions. They did interviews uh, before the, I think it was the 86 Cup final. Uh, Ian St. John, the Saint, who <laughs> was an ex-Liverpool player, went and trained with Everton prior to the, the 86 Cup final. I think it was the 86 Cup final. But that show, Andrew, of which there hasn't been anything like it since, not really, um, that magazine show was just so, so popular. It finished in, in 1992 when I was, when I was 10, but I, I can still remember it, and I can still remember the theme tune. Yeah, you're right. I mean, for a generation of fans, that's kind of how they know him. It's going to yeah. be like in certain ways. I mean, obviously, they're, you know, Greaves had a very affable, likable personality to him, but it's kind of like how there's going to be a generation of basketball fans that won't really know Charles Barkley, the basketball player. They'll know him as just like a brilliant basketball analyst and, and like a, yeah. a really funny personality. Uh, you and forget that he's he was not... a great player. He's a Hall of Famer. I feel like there's a generation that probably feels similarly about Greaves' legacy. For sure. And I know he's not doing it anymore, but like, a lot of people never saw or, or, or weren't aware of John Madden standing in the game. Mm-hmm. And now they know him from the, the very popular uh, Madden NFL computer game, but also they knew him from being in, in the box and, and doing commentary and stuff. Um, I, I, I did watch a documentary that the BBC did um, about Jimmy Greaves, which is on YouTube and it's worth watching. It's easy to find if you put in BBC Jimmy Greaves doc and it's only 30 minutes long, but this is Greaves. I just don't think you'd hear this being said right now, either by a manager about his player, his current player, or by a player about his current manager. Um, This is Greaves talking about uh, the great Bill Nicholson, uh, his manager, and um, it's very interesting. Have a listen. I haven't had a lot to do with Bill in my own personal career. I have always played for him. I hope that I've always done well by him. I don't think he rates me too highly. As I say, I'm not sure whether he thinks I'm a good player or not, but I hope that uh, I've proved justification for my existence at Tottenham. Wow. That was 1969. So, I mean, he'd already scored a bag full of goals over a number of seasons for Tottenham. And there he is, you know, questioning his worth. I mean, players are like that. Players are very uh, insecure, particularly strikers. And um, and he talks later in the documentary how he would fret all the time about if he was in a drought of scoring, how could he get out of it? And, 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 and it would occupy his mind and it would worry him to distraction. Even though he was a guy who Bill Nicholson says in the documentary... Uh, didn't work particularly hard on the field and didn't like training. Um, so, uh, yeah, fascinating guy. And um, it's a shame his last few years we didn't really hear from him or, yeah. or see him very much because... He was in really poor he, health. He was, but he, he was tremendous fun. Yeah. And um, he was a great guy. Uh, the documentary is called The Roar of the Crowd, The Enigmatic Mr. Greaves, uh, BBC TV. 
and it's up on YouTube there. It's 30 minutes of your time that's really, really worth it. By the way, he never played on grass. Every field he seemed to play on was muck or sand. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you mentioned, too, his time with England. It's amazing that he's still fourth all-time in goals for England, and he did it in just 57 caps. And he um, retired relatively early from England because he, he, he felt as if he... he well, I think 66 uh, left him scarred, and um, he didn't really play very much. So it certainly did. One more clip from from Greaves. This was back in, I believe this is an interview that he did on the BBC with Ian Woodridge in 1981. And he really opened up about the emotions of not being, He was again, he was a member of the 66 World Cup team, but he did not play in the final. Uh, and that always stuck with him. Here he is talking about that. The overwhelming feeling was being probably the loneliest man in Wembley Stadium that particular day. I mean, this, you could argue, is egotistical. I might have been dropped anyway, but, I mean, the thing was uh, an injury caused it and I couldn't get my place back. But I just, all I wanted to do really that day, after we'd won the World Cup, was go away and, you know, just go away and uh, be, be alone, really. I mean touch of the Greta Garbos in many ways but it was a fact I mean I couldn't I couldn't force myself to join the festivities because I'd built in my own mind I'd built myself up that I was going to be in the side and I was going to be one of the key people who was going to achieve this what most people considered to be an impossibility anyway and I was going to be one of these people to do it and suddenly it wasn't there it had vanished God, that's that's so sad to hear him talk like that. I know. Wow, that's a, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I had never heard that before. And by the way, he believed. He said a year before the World Cup, um, and that's why the hepatitis thing that you know getting ill was just such a a nightmare for him. He said he didn't drink in that period whatsoever, um, at a time when athletes drinking was was pretty normal. But he believed a year before that World Cup, that England would win the World Cup and that he would be at the centre of it and that he had to be there. So he saw it coming. Right. So imagine it's right there in front of you and it's taken away from you. You you can see it where nobody else saw it. Maybe maybe Sir Alf Ramsey, the manager, did, but not many others. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, pretty amazing. Such an interesting guy. Who And, and you know, we didn't even really talk about how he, he battled and overcame alcoholism. He basically said the 70s were kind of a lost decade for him. That's right. Um, he, he gave up drinking in 19, I think 1979 or 1980. And um, I wonder how much of that drinking was driven uh, by what happened in 66. So I, in the interview, he denies that. He said that, that there are people who think that, but in 1967, he came back with Tottenham. They won the FA Cup and he had an amazing season. Um, he said that was not the case. It, he made it sound like it didn't really start until 1970, his problems with alcohol. but um, Which which was in and around the time he joined West Ham. Yes. yes. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, just a fascinating man with a, a truly legendary career. And uh, yeah, JJ, I, I, I have not seen that BBC documentary, but it sounds uh, it sounds fascinating. And I, um, I do plan on watching that. So Jimmy Greaves, dead at the age of 81 years old. Uh, let's see. We continue now, JJ. All right, MLS minute. Let's do it. All right. So I do have a few things here that I wanted to get to quickly. Um, starting with FC Dallas and Luchi Gonzalez, he's out there. Really, you know, it's interesting. Uh, almost three years as their manager, 
and he's a, he's got to go down. I think as a great figure in in their club's history. I mean, he he oversaw what was basically the, not basically what was the preeminent academy in all of American soccer, uh, and then he got his chances. First team manager took him to the playoffs back to back years, but I guess whatever progress it felt like they were making, it had stunted, and it was clearly moving backwards. They fell to eleventh in the West. Uh, they were down 3-0 to Houston. Now, they did fight back and make it 3-2, but the damage was already done. They were conceding lots of goals, third most uh, conceded this season, headed in the wrong direction, and so that's it. He's out. Uh, Sam Steskiel has a really good piece in The Athletic, um, and he prefaces the coming paragraph by saying, you know, the, the, the club is well run in terms of the youth academy, like you said, and they're regulars in the playoffs six out of the seven years leading up until this season. But this is this is the paragraph that really grabs me. Despite being located in the fourth largest market by population in the league and boasting an ownership group with a net worth in the billions, FC Dallas doesn't behave anything like a big club. The team's spending almost always ranks in the bottom half of MLS. The club ranks 16th in payroll when the MLS Player, uh, Players Association released its list of salaries in April. The team doesn't shell out top-end transfer fees. The front office has missed repeatedly on the highest-priced players it has signed. Ownership does enough for the team to be better than its current position of 12th in the Western Conference, but not so much that Dallas should expect to fight for titles on a regular basis. So they're kind of, I don't know, they're, the model is that we develop players, we sell them on, we're there or thereabouts, but, you know... Right. I mean, they're I, they're essentially saying that Dallas FC Dallas are kind of stuck in this vortex of doing just enough to be good, but never willing to take that next step and be great. Like if you were to combine what they're able to do with their academy and combine that with a willingness to spend money and bring in high profile talent, then think of what they could be. I mean, like they they would be contending with Seattle and LAFC and, and teams like that on a year-in-year-out basis, but they don't do those things. They they have the academy part down, but it doesn't seem like they take that next step. Well, they're just going to end up being being this club for a long time then, and uh, that's going to be a frustration to the fans. Yeah. Uh, also wanted to mention Atlanta United FC. They stay hot, but Joseph Martinez need JJ once again a concern. They've won seven of their past eight games. Uh, they've moved into uh, playoff scenarios in the Eastern Conference after the slow start. And they're going to play Philadelphia on Saturday in a really big game. But Joseph Martinez is having his right knee evaluated. Um, it's interesting. I know you talk a lot about turf. Gonzalo Pineda had mentioned back-to-back games on turf could be affecting him. He's got nine goals oh. and 17 appearances. But I just wonder if he's now entering a phase of his career with these history of knee issues. And remember, he, he only revealed earlier this season that he had a second surgery on that knee um, after an infection developed. And he wasn't sure if he was ever even going to be able to play again. So I wonder now if he's just in this phase of, of his career where they're going to have to manage his time and his minutes, especially, unfortunately, in front of the home fans, especially playing at home on that turf in Atlanta. Oh, that, that turf is – don't get me started. This is one of my ticks where I'll just go into a rant about it. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel terrible for him. Uh, by the way, just the, the game at the weekend against DC United, this was a game full of bangers. Barco's free kick was probably one of the best free kicks you're going to see anywhere. Um and he sets up Martinez for the second. Felipe Martins, uh, just the most beautiful volley beyond Guzan as well. That's got to be in uh, the running for goal of the season. Then Marce- uh, Marcelino Moreno's run to set up George Bello for the third. They couldn't take the ball off him. It was like it was stuck to his foot. And then even uh, Ed- uh, Edison Flores's consolation goal was a banger. Uh, you know, it-, it was another half volley into the top corner. 
this game alone had just the most amazing goals. And then last thing I wanted to mention, because you know we talk a lot about Seattle and how successful they've been this season. Um, so I imagine Portland fans are not always enamored with us for kind of like heaping all this praise on their arch rival and not talking a ton about them. But I will say about Portland, um, you know, a lot of what this league is kind of based around in terms of your success is peaking at the right time. And Portland appear to be doing that. They're up to fifth now in the West, and they're unbeaten in, in five straight, beat LAFC over the weekend. And I think what's important for them, Darren Espria is playing extremely well for them, but also Sebastian Blanco is now healthy. Player though he was, uh, I think he was named Player of the Week. What was it last week or two weeks ago? Um, played a, a key role for them over the weekend in that win against LAFC. So, like you know, they've they've kind of been so-so for much of the season. But I just like if you're looking for teams to watch now as we get into the final stretch run, teams that have certainly significant postseason experience that know how to win in these kinds of situations that are now getting healthy, they would be they might be at the top of my list of like of teams to kind of keep an eye on as now we get closer to the postseason. I, I agree with that. I've got one more MLS related thing. Okay. Uh, Tom Bogger tweeted this. Uh, MLS and League Amekis just announced a new format for League's Cup. Starting in 2023, all clubs from MLS and Liga MX will participate in a World Cup-style Leagues Cup. Both leagues will pause their domestic campaigns for one summer month. It'll be a World Cup-style tournament, three CONCACAF Champion League spots at stake. That's major. Yeah. And Don Garber talking uh, during the broadcast of the All-Star Game, kind of talking down uh, further competition alignment shall we call it between the two leagues um well that is not the case with what was announced today this will be a test case for for further collaboration between between these two leagues because mls cannot take its eyes off the amazing viewing figures that uh that mexican teams get uh this side of the border and uh, they have looked south andrew with envious eyes for long enough they're going to try and see can they parlay this into a new competition uh, an entire month off um, every team will be involved. Uh, that's interesting to me. I think some MLS teams who kind of, how shall I put it, their budget is, they're tight is what I'm saying. They like to keep their money or they like to have a transition season. So a season because there's no pressure from relegation. So they like to have a season where they just take over before they, they try and build their squad up again to be um, competitive. Those teams are in for a shellacking from some of these Liga Mekis teams. The the upper class um, big spenders and the serious teams in MLS will be will be okay. Those should be competitive games. But um, yeah, watch out. I wonder what stuff like this does in the way of kind of stunting the growth and popularity of the CONCACAF Champions League. It's a good question. I don't know... Um, it's a good question. This seems like a test case. They are going to use this for what, though? Um, I would, I would say, for some kind of merger, um, or some kind of competition between the Liga Mekis teams and the MLS teams across a season, or it's some kind of some kind of summer money spinner that they'll do every summer. So maybe Liga Mekis are um, not really 
interested in a league style long-term partnership, but a once off once every summer get together, that's a money spinner. They would be more inclined to be involved in that. So I don't know. So maybe CONCACAF Champions League will, will survive just fine as a separate entity. We shall see. Uh, let's see. You want to do a mailbag? Let's do a mailbag, Andrew. Pod at gmail.com. Um, Caught ESPN on Instagram. At your soccer pod on Twitter. F- Twitter, follow us there, please, everybody. Um, first one is a listener nuptials alert. Uh, Emily Rose Lamb on Instagram got in touch with us. Uh, when your first dance is you'll never walk alone, uh, you get... You'll never walk alone engraved in your wedding bands. Mm. Liverpool FC win 3-0 and the bride and planner pull off this surprise groom's cake. It's a good day. The groom's cake is a, a soccer ball with Liverpool crest and a scarf, etc. So congratulations on the wedding. And uh, Emily told us that she, um, she listens to the pod and we're her favorite podcast. That's very nice. Congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, Jordan in South Carolina. Hey, guys, love the pod, but found it strange considering how much you reference his goal in the playoffs v Leicester, that you never mentioned Troy Deeney is no longer a Watford player after 12 years. Any chance you can play the Stranger Things Deeney mashup you made a while back? Oh, man. Can yeah. we do that, Andrew? Yeah, that was years ago that we did that. I love, love long-time listeners that just, they find a thing they like and, and they ask for it, and you know what? We're on demand. So, yeah, I do have it, JJ. You ready? Let's go. Knockout takes, Almunia saves, knockout follows in, Almunia saves again! Absolutely astonishing. Now here come Watford. Forestieri. Here's Hulk! Dini! Will that ever not give you chills? Never. <laughs> Never. And the commentary is just perfect. Oh, man. You don't say anything other than, Day-Day, that's all you need. I wonder, um, how often, Dini, I wonder how often Troy Deeney goes back and rewatches that. I don't know, but I can imagine over the past, well, how many years since that happened? Seven years since that happened? I'm sure he's watched it a lot. I, I certainly watch it a lot anyway. Um, and he's joined uh, Birmingham. Birmingham City, Andrew. And you won't be surprised to know he scored already, too. Uh, Luis De La Garza. As a Milan supporter, I was looking forward to hear y'all say some pros and analysis for AC Milan. But alas, why am I not surprised to hear you guys mainly talk about Liverpool and every player on the team while barely glancing at the non-Premier League team? Very disappointed. Well, I would say you're not surprised because you've <laughs> you've listened to this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I try to be as I nice as I can, but it's kind of... We could have said more about Milan. Hey, look, he's not wrong. We didn't talk about them. We did not so talk me, about them. Let me do it right now. So I, I will make up for that very, very quickly. Firstly, that was one of the most overwhelmed and totally lost 40 minutes that I've seen from any team visiting Anfield in the last while. Uh, Milan were lost way too open and had Salah not uh, had his penalty saved by uh, Moynihan. Uh, as bad a start as they made at the weekend against Juve, against Juve, uh, barely four minutes in. So, like they they went. I, I thought they were going to get hammered at the weekend too in a similar fashion, but they they did not. Um, but again, uh, Milan were resilient, like they were in the draw with Juve, and two well worked goals shows there's a bit about this young team. By the way, the average age of this Milan team that played Juve on Sunday was twenty four. 
And it's only 24 because uh, Simon Kier pushes that average up a bit um, with his 32 years. Uh, the two oldest after that are Rebic and the centre-back, uh, Ramangoli, at 26, I believe. So n- only one player over the age of 30 started at the weekend. On the ascent. Um, yeah. Look, the, the hedge fund that own, owns uh, Milan, Elliott Management, has cleared the debt, we understand, and has shaved a lot off a huge weight bill. So young players and back in the Champions League, so far so, so good for Milan. By the way, Juve, third from bottom after four games, winless in Serie A. Unbelievable. Um, this is from the Reddit, Andrew. Uh, this is the famous scene in, <laughs> in uh, Terminator 2 where they're uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, the kid whose name escapes me are in the phone booth and they are trying to discover whether the T-1000 has, has, uh, is on the end of the line and has killed their parents. So <laughs> this is a caught offside version. Um, so Schwarzenegger asked the kid, is your foster mom a burrito fan? He goes, yeah. And he asked the question of the foster mom on the phone, knife and fork or hands? Knife and fork, of course. Where are you? <laughs> Schwarzenegger, your foster parents are dead. <laughs> That's not fair. Uh, I've doubled down, what... JJ, on my burrito eating. I, I now I've added forks. I now use multiple forks when I'm eating oh, burrito. My. In You've both hands, to, yeah. You're an animal. Uh, Jonathan Sanchez, how upset is JJ with the Ted Lasso performance at the Emmys Here we, we go. finally got? Um, why would I be upset? It was absolutely written in stone. When you see something that is so universally applauded and some would say pandered to, um, it, it's obviously going to pick up a lot of Emmys. Uh, that That didn't upset me at all. What annoyed me was a person from a popular uh, podcast called, uh, I think it's called Men Wearing Trousers. What are you Roger, doing? Roger Bennett tweeted this. Uh, this 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 annoyed a lot of people, not yeah. just me. Yeah, I saw. Uh, Jason Sudeikis wins Emmy for lead actor in a comedy series. Hard to exaggerate what Ted Lasso has done for the profile of men's football in the United States. Our women have won World Cup after World Cup, but few American men have done more for the game than Jason and his team. That, like, he says it's hard to exaggerate. Well, Roger, you found it quite easy there. What are you talking about? The profile of American soccer has been raised. No, 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 sorry. Few American men have done more for the game. Let's deal with that. That is just unbelievable. What a crazy comment. So it's in, it's in no hang on Andrew yeah it, let me finish it's absolutely insane. Oh, okay. By the way, can I can I say something? Uh, sure. Roger Bennett has done more for the profile of soccer in this country. People who I talk to, Definitely. all jokes aside, so many people listen to his podcast. Um, like name yourself. Like before you name, but Jason he's not Sudeikis. that guy who's gonna do. Oh, that. he's he's that guy that wants to and wants. To, what is the point of this tweet? Like it's palpably false. Ted Lasso has raised the, raised the profile of Ted Lasso. No more than that. It's just an insane tweet. So if I were going to defend his tweet, 
No, because, of course you are. Because contrarian, contrarianism lives on this podcast. So I will, tr- I will try to take up that side of it. And I will say this. Uh, I, I could see – it's easy for me to see why you specifically would detest that comment. You are not – Because it's not true. But, but hear me out. I'm trying to say this gently – I don't mean. I hope this doesn't come off as disparaging. I don't mean that way. I'm just saying factual things here. Oh, spit so it out, man! You're come not. On. You're not from here. You are from a culture where this sport is it, where it's number one. In like for you, it's passed down from your dad, and for him, it was passed down from his dad. Soccer is in, not incorrect. Incorrect. But go on. Soccer. Okay, your friends, everyone in your life around you, loved soccer. Like it's. It's not like that here. Soccer is not passed down. It will be. We're hitting a generational point where soccer is now popular, and so like I'm going to pass it down to my kids. People who are in their 30s, even in their 40s, like now it's going to start being passed down. But that was not the case. Soccer was passed down to no one. So for a generation of American fans, sports fans, you got your soccer in any number of different ways. You were exposed to it in any number of different ways. Not Oftentimes, it was not watching it. For a, you can talk to a lot of people out there, JJ. A lot of people's window into this sport was the video game. You can laugh at that all you want. You can say that's no, nonsense. What, it's a hundred percent because you're laughing at this. It's a hundred percent true. I don't think that that's a whole lot more ridiculous. Saying that I got into soccer because of FIFA, the video game. I don't think that's a ton more ridiculous. Oh my! Than God, saying absolutely. I got into it because of a show about a Premier League team. I don't think it's crazy. People know it's pop culture. However, people, however it is you want to digest it, they're both pop culture. And for a lot of people, it might have been their window into this game, their doorway into this game. So you think? Uh, I think people, he took it. I think he took it too a little too far. But I think. <laughs> but I also think people like yourself are taking it too far in in calling them out the way that they are. N- nobody is sitting down to watch uh, Palace and Brentford because. Well, they might actually because they, they filmed um, a lot of the Richmond scenes at Selhurst Park. Nobody's sitting down to watch um, Fulham and whoever because of Ted Lasso. Or nobody's getting into the – nobody is picking up a you ball. You don't know that. Nobody's you picking up a ball. And go, I, I can't prove it, but um, – You might have – 15 years up. ago, you might have been saying the same thing to someone who said, you know, few can – however he phrased it, uh, few can, can – exaggerate how much EA Sports has meant to the growth of this game in this country. You might have said that is ridiculous. It might be the same thing. No, that makes sense. That's about the game. This Ted Lasso's not about the game. I mean it's based around a, a soccer team in England. You couldn't do you you telling me you couldn't do a version of Ted Lasso about literally anything else. Sure, but they chose soccer. So that's what it is. It's about an English soccer team. And so for I, a lot of people, it's going to be they're going to have a positive association with English soccer. It's going to be for kids who are watching it. It might be their doorway into then wanting to actually watch a real game. You know, oh, like that show's fun. And now like that have a positive association with this sport. So that it's not crazy. To me, it wasn't. You're, guess, you're guessing. To me, it wasn't guess, crazy. You're guessing, you're too. Guess, you're guessing you're that, that this will have no impact on people. Yeah, I don't yeah, think that's ta- true. We're talking about a tweet that asserts it. Few American men have done more. I know for the he game. he went too far. He oh, went too right. far. Thank you. But but Thank you're you. also going too far. Oh no! In calling Andy, him out I, the way that you are. Oh my God! Like in your efforts for balance, it's I'm not unbelievable. Wrong. I'm not wrong. 
All right, let's move on. Okay. Let's move on to something more fun and enjoyable and about a show that deserved every Emmy it got and it had to work <laughs> pretty hard for the Emmys it got. By the way, I can't wait for the Manny Saints of Newark to come out. I just cannot wait. Um, you know what I just I, found out today? I, I had no idea. Uh, James Gandolfini's son, apologies for forgetting his name. He was, Michael Gandolfini. Yeah, he was up here in the studio two weeks ago recording promos for us. Not for us, oh. not for this podcast, but for apparently for like the Jets, uh, ESPN New York. I had no idea. Never to- Mike Brownshire told me today. I said, How, you, what were you saving that for? Brownshire gonna- knew, and he never he told us. He was with him. He was doing it with him. What? <laughs> I couldn't believe it, yeah. Oh, my Two weeks God. Ago. Oh, he is on the list. Immediately on it. Said he was the nicest guy. Oh, yeah, that's Super great. Nice. All after the fact. Brilliant. Thanks for that, Mike. So anyway, oh. so what are you doing here with the Sopranos? No, I'm just annoyed. Uh, Jeff Kennedy presents us with managers as Sopranos characters, which is from the uh, Project Football Instagram. So Pep Guardiola is Tony Soprano, should be enjoying life as the ultimate boss, but is constantly stressed, never content, and prone to self-sabotage. Also bald. <laughs> um, Mikel Arteta is Silvio Dante, a highly respected second-in-command who is finding being the actual boss a difficult challenge. Suspiciously perfect hair. Uh, Sam Allardyce is Polly Walnuts, a larger-than-life figure, always in and around the top, but will never stop complaining about how unfair life has been to him. I don't know. Okay. Any Uh, others? I don't love love that one. Um, David Moyes is Tony Blundetto, a man who has worked extremely hard to reinvent himself and start a new life, but forever haunted by what could have been. That is a good one. And by the way, uh, (laughs) there is a... There is a crossover, crossover in looks between Bushimi and Moyes when put side to side. <laughs> yeah, can, I can you see believe that. it? I think Moyes is better looking, but I see the resemblance. All right, I'll do one more, and right. uh, everyone else can go to Project Football and read the rest of them. Uh, Brendan Rogers is Little Carmine, often ridiculed for his philosophical musings and occasional faux pas, but far smarter and successful than given credit for. I would agree with that because because Little Carmine knows. He knew, in fact, here's a perfect, perfect comparison. Little Carmine knew not to take the job, the top job in New York. He knew the stress of it. He knew what it would do to his family life. He knew he'd probably end up in prison. He, he ultimately pulled out in the war against Johnny Sack. However, Brendan Rogers also knew not to take the Arsenal job. Okay. And finally, Erica. Uh, can we get now? That's what I call caught offside, with such hits as EPL back for more, Concacaf Champions League theme, and Giassi Zardes hymn. I mean, we could keep going. Really, we had the rap battle. Uh, yeah. JJ, remember this too. I, I don't know how much of this you want me to play. It's long, but we also have the remember our Christmas special. This holiday season, open your heart and your ears to the delightful sounds of a caught offside Christmas. In this eight disc set, you'll be treated to all the holiday hits, like this one. Taking L's. <laughs> Taking L's. At any rate, we can stop it there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we've done a lot of singing on this podcast. We're probably due for more. It's been a while, I think. Yeah, we need to be in studio together to do that, though. Yeah. Always yeah. enjoy singing together. EPL, back for more. Never in the history of of music has a person been left hanging worse than I was with that. 
EPL back for more. As you were supposed, oh my God. as you were supposed the, to have been a part of it, and you completely bailed when you realized what a dumpster fire it was, and then you made me air it. You know, you know the way they talk about the great lines in music, Andrew, like like Sinatra, uh, the Summer Wind, um, you know, beautiful lyrics. Has there ever been a better lyric than Glenn Johnson to Stoke City? <laughs> From EPL back for more. It's gorgeous. It just mm, it resonates with me as I listen to it. And it really carried it carried so much meaning. It was more of a social commentary than it than anything else. My thoughts on the right. war. All right, here's the social commentary. We've gone way over. Oh, so. is that a problem for you? I actually had another e- uh, another tweet I wanted to get to from Ben Duncan. Oh. Go ahead. Uh, he said, uh, won't say that people don't talk enough about Mo Salah because he's synonymous with Liverpool's success, but when he, com- when he comes up, it's usually just, yeah, he's great with no elaboration. Has he reached that level where he's just boring people with greatness? Do you think he gets enough credit? I thought this was a very interesting and kind of correct tweet. Like I, I want Because, JJ, we kind of used to talk about this with Sergio Aguero, too, where like his consistency of greatness almost did become boring and kind of numbing to people. So I, I saw this and I thought, yeah, let, you know what? Let's give Mo Salah his due. Um, so uh, Planet Football, because Mo Salah just reached 150 games played with Liverpool. So they did a comparison at Planet Football between Salah after 150 games at Liverpool and Robbie Fowler after 150 games at Liverpool. Salah has 143 starts in that time. Fowler had 146. Care to guess who scored more goals after 150 games? Mo Salah. Salah has 99 goals to Fowler's 90. And assists? Ooh, I don't know. That's interesting. It's not close. I'd say Salah's way ahead. Salah, 35 to Fowler's 19. Uh, Minutes per goal, way ahead for Salah, 127.3 to almost 145 for Fowler. Um, Even uh, minutes per non-penalty goal, everything is is ahead for for Salah, and somewhat significantly so. He is... He's he's a legend. He he absolutely is. And I think Ben is a little bit right in that sometimes I don't know why it is exactly that maybe maybe I'm wrong, but to me I, I see where Ben is coming from that I feel like Sala sometimes is a little bit of an overlooked superstar. No, I agree. And I, I have a friend at home who's By the a way, massive Liverpool fan. We used to talk about it, JJ, by Liverpool fans too that get frustrated with him. One hundred percent. I last season in particular, even though he was still scoring goals at a at a tremendous pelt. I, I have a friend at home, uh, Colm, who used to tweet me in the, or WhatsApp me in the middle of a game. And he would say, I, I just can't stand Salah. Why is he not passed the ball there? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we really, I, I don't think we'll fully appreciate him until he's gone. I well, honestly, that's a shame. Well, not all Liverpool fans. Lots of Liverpool fans appreciate him. But yeah, maybe I think Ben has a point. There's, um, there's a num a numbness we've come to with this guy, and we need to address it because he is doing things that uh, that are absolutely brilliant and couldn't have been predicted when he was signed from Roma. Yeah. So there you go. That is the podcast. This was a big one. This was a big one, but I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, this was a lot of fun, and we will uh, of course do it again next week. More Carabao Cup action tomorrow, so you can all watch that. And then of course more league action over the weekend. Chelsea, Manchester City. Right. That's this weekend, I believe. Yes, sir. That's that could be telling. That'll be that, we talked about Chelsea kind of not showing everything that they have just yet. Well, now they got a true test. They had that test against Liverpool. They went down a man. They battled, got a point. 
Well, we'll see how it goes against Manchester City. Should be a lot of fun. We'll, of course, be back next week to talk all about it. Hey, this was good. To you, I say... Take it later, fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 